Hey, what's up, print hustlers? Uh, Matt here. Today we're at Sound and Fury, my print shop, uh, and we're joined by our friend Adam. Uh, Adam's new to Printavo, new to working for Printavo, but not new to working with Printavo. Uh, so Adam, little background about you and how you ended up working here with Printavo. So I recently sold the print shop that I ran for about 10 years here in Chicago. Uh, nine, the last nine of those years, uh, we had been using Printavo and had done some testing on new features and stuff like that. So we got to know the team and Bruce really well throughout that time. Um, so it was kind of a natural choice whenever I'd, I'd sold the company and was looking for somewhere to stay in the industry. Um, there was, you know, very few people on the list that I wanted to reach out to and Printava was at the very top of it. So, Awesome. What's it like kind of going from running a shop and owning a shop and like all the fun that goes with that to now working remote? I mean, I'm assuming at home most of the days, right? right. How's that been kind of making that, that change of everything from being in a shop, being in it all day to working from home, working for a software company? Yeah, it was it was a little bit daunting at first. I mean, you know, I went from running a very kind of hands-on manual operation. I'm walking around the shop all day long. I'm getting involved with printing, moving boxes, moving shirts, bouncing back and forth between my desk. And so now I'm spending a lot of the time at home at my desk and it's actually refreshing. I mean, we had a little bit of a period during the pandemic where I could, you know, get acclimated to the work from home environment a little bit when we were forced to shut down. Um, so it wasn't as hard of a transition as I expected. And you know, the team at Printavo is extremely welcoming. Uh, everybody's got the same kind of unified vision to, to make things better across the industry. And then that makes it really easy for me to kind of step in and do what I'm doing now. Yeah, no, I, when I joined up on the team too, it was right when the pandemic hit. So I had left the shop I was running at the time and I felt so different. Like going, I had heard like, oh, Zoom meetings and Slack channels. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> right. And then I was kind of like just thrust into it, like working from home, like same thing. It's like I'm used to being like 60 hours in a shop every week. Right. And now it's like uh, log on, right. camera. It was a bit of a culture shock, sure. but it's also so rewarding in so many ways too, like getting to use your expertise. Like, you know, Printavo well. You also know that print industry and the day in the life really, really well. A lot of shops, like, yeah, they got questions about Printavo and, right? Like, I find it very rewarding being able to talk to the shops and be like, yeah, here's the problem you're trying to get through. Here's this. But also, oh, what are you doing? Oh, Puff? Oh, have you tried this? And just watching them go, oh, my goodness, I never thought about that. Are you seeing that kind of in your role, getting to talk to people and, like, explain a little more than maybe just what they think they're even trying to ask and get to look a little more into the bigger picture of running the business and the print shop? Yeah, completely. I mean, I think one of the biggest things that, that has kind of helped me in that transition is just kind of having an understanding and being empathetic because I've been in a lot of those situations before. I understand, you know, how sensitive something is if something's not working right or if they're trying to solve a problem with the software, um, how, how inhibitive that can or prohibitive that can be to, to operating your shop. You know, if you're trying to figure out accounting stuff, you're trying to figure out production workflow um, and things just aren't clicking and you reach out for help, um, that's kind of really helped me step in and, and bring, you know, my knowledge and experience, um, not only running a shop, but having worked in multiple shops prior to starting my own. Um, and then just talking with people in the industry regularly, seeing how other people run their operations, you know, troubleshooting, uh, issues around staff management and production management and order processing and production workflow um, and also production improvement with people online, you know, seeing how different people are running their operations and kind of picking little tips and tricks up along the way and applying to them myself. Um, being able to employ that with 
other shop owners is, is great. I mean, it's, it's extremely rewarding. And um, that's, that was kind of the part of running a business that I really enjoyed was that, that ongoing problem solving. I mean, there's always something that can be improved or, um, you know, a process that can be streamlined somewhere. So being able to take that knowledge that I've picked up over the years and, and kind of give it out to other people and help them solve those problems is great. I love it. I love it. And that's why we were all stoked when you were able to join the team. So let's go back to like day one, uh, not working for Printava, but starting into the, this industry. How did you get, how did, how did you create the shop? How did, how did you become a screen printer? How, how did it all begin? Yeah. So my oldest brother uh, is 11 years older than me. And so when he was in college, I was about 13. And um, I would go out on weekends and help him in the shop that he started when he was in school. And so over the summer, I would spend like a week out at his house catching shirts. And, you know, this is in Georgia. It's 105 degrees in that shop. So it's just a sweat box. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm standing at the end of the dryer catching shirts. And then, you know, in the, in the slower times, he built a little box for my little short self to stand on to get up high enough to, to really get leverage on the press. Um, so I learned to print back then. Um, from there, I went into um, a larger shop in my hometown that was running automatic. So I learned production from that perspective. Um, and then eventually just got to the point where I was looking to relocate and I knew that I wanted to stay in the industry and start my own business. And after kind of checking out a few other major cities like Atlanta and Chicago, Chicago was kind of the one that seemed the most welcoming. Um, and aligned with most of what I was looking to do and the kind of environment I was looking to get started in. So that's awesome. Yeah. What was the first auto you learned to learn to run? First auto, it was a Tough Products Javelin. Oh, Javi. Yeah. V Squeegee? V Squeegee. All yep. right. Yep. Yeah. And um, so I learned on that one, um, which was a pretty, pretty interesting piece of equipment. It was kind of old. I think it was late 90s model. It was obviously before, you know, Workhorse came about and, and acquired. Um, tough products and kind of rolled them under their family. But uh, that was the first auto that I learned to print on. And it was also the first auto that I acquired. Oh, okay. So I ended up buying my brother's automatic when he upgraded to um, a Diamondback in the in the mid 2000s. So I bought that press that I was already running and then shipped it up here to Chicago and installed it. And uh, yeah, that's kind of that was the first auto that we got in our shop after three years of running a manual. Gotcha. So you were manual for a couple yep. years, then you brought in an old tough uh, did you stay with that, the Javelin? Do you end up changing to another automatic? We, what did that look like? Yeah, so the, the Javelin was a six color, uh, eight station press, all air. It had the uh, uh, Tufts kind of innovative for its time flashback system that allowed you to do print, flash, print on, on the one same head. head. Yep. Yeah, which is great, but that, that you know, it, was, it slowed production down quite a bit. So we knew there were a lot of factors, printing specific needs that, that we were gonna encounter, especially when dealing with water-based, this was back when, you know, tribal shirts were very popular. So everybody wanted a really soft water-based print. So we need, we knew we needed to go with um, electric AC print heads. Um, so we went from that 6.8 all-air Javelin to a 10-color, 12-station Workhorse Saber. So we already had that relationship with, with Workhorse. Um, over the years, just, you know, troubleshooting stuff with the, the Javelin. Phil Ritz there is, is, a, is a wizard with the equipment and... Um, was able to help walk me through the installing and rewiring that machine all mm-hmm. the way up till you know nine to ten o'clock at night the, the day that we got it in. Um, so it was kind of natural that we stayed with them at that time, uh, and it was great. It, it kind of allowed us to, you know, not only increase our um, our offerings to our customers and and adding a few more colors, 
but greatly improved the production rates, the production consistency, and the quality that we were able to put out. Um, and it was also a much more trainable piece of equipment because it was it was designed um, around the tablet interface, which mm -hmm. was much more user friendly. So it just kind of improved um, all the aspects of running production and allowed us to you know hire operators for a piece of equipment that didn't require as much training and as much intricate right. knowledge of that piece of equipment to run. So right. It's it's always a fun transition looking at when when that manual to auto right. movement happens. Um, I find it's always one of those like I wish I did it sooner type situations. Oh, yeah. yep. um, we're in one of those situations now, so we're at Sound and Fury, uh, the shop that my my partner and I own, um, and we're still on a manual press for now. Um, we are looking at uh, getting into an auto. We're dealing with some uh, electric needs for the building first that has to get figured out. And it's, uh, it's one of those like age old, is it going to be 5k or 30k to get the three phase into the building? And we're still waiting on answers, but, um, looking at like kind of the why. So what made you decide, Hey, I'm going to hit my brother up. I'm going to try to see if we can get this, this press. What was that, uh, that factor where you're like, we got to automate manuals, not, not hitting anymore. What was that decision-making? Yeah. So I having, I was fortunate to have gotten into the industry at a production level, whereas I think a lot of people come into it from, you know, starting in the garage, doing art prints and coming at it more from a, from a creative perspective. I, my introduction was through production. I knew what an automatic was capable of. Um, so I knew the advantages that, that we stood to gain once, once we got one. So kind of from the beginning, it was always a mission just to be like, all right, how soon can we get this in? You know, we, we started in a small, uh, storefront in Chicago, it wasn't big enough. Like it literally was, I think it was 14 feet wide, 15 feet wide, something like that. And we had a tiny little door, so there was no way we could get an automatic in there. Um, so from the onset, it was kind of a race to, all right, how do we get out of this building? How do we get into a bigger piece of equipment? But we had to build the steps um, and build the the business enough to get there to really justify that move and the um, the acquiring of the bigger press. Um, so yeah, it was kind of an, it was from the from the onset I knew that we were going to need that automatic. But I think the the big turning point was one job. It was a fifteen thousand piece drawstring bag print run that I had to do on the manual. And it was an event specific thing. It was kind of almost sort of on demand because it was um, the total volume of, of bags needed was dependent on how many people were registering within a certain time frame. So we were kind of like, you know, at the end of every day, we would get an email and say, hey, we need this many, you know, here's our new number, here's our new number. So it was kind of this ongoing thing. And 15,000 prints on a manual when you're under the gun was brutal. And so, but that job, you know, we, we kind of negotiated a really uh, good rate for us, given the circumstances that we were going to be working within. Um, and we just immediately put that money aside and used all of the funds that we, we got from that, uh, from that run to purchase the press, the, the first automatic that we bought, that one that I got from my brother. So, um, it was good. It was kind of a, you know, I'll never do that again situation. <laughs> uh, that's, uh, I think and, everyone's and, got that <laughs> right. like crazy. Yep. So the way that we actually got the dryer that we're using is kind of similar. And my business partner's off camera over there. He's going to laugh as, as he hears <laughs> the story because it was him dealing with the brunt of it. Uh, we had, uh, so I was selling supplies and equipment through a local distributor uh, for years in a shop uh, in, in a nearby state. Um, was had overcommitted to something that they didn't think they could even do. And it was uh, a company had 20,000 bags for those little hoverboards. They don't hover, there's wheels, but you know what I'm talking about, the little hoverboards, uh, right at the peak of those becoming popular. 
and they had, somebody else had misprinted. I don't know if it was a misprint, they had printed the name of the company, but the company name changed during that process. So they had like 20,000 of these like custom made bags with the wrong name printed onto them. So we <laughs> negotiated an agreement um, and we had a, a cruiser at the time. We needed to get a, a dryer, we needed to get some more equipment for the, for the old space we were in. And so we agreed to do it. We had them buy us a 55 uh, gallon drum of, uh, a of screen ink remover, um, exit is what we're using. And we would, I say we, Mike is the one that had to do it unfortunately, uh, would load it on the platen and then dip rags into the, uh, the ink remover, put the rag on the print, index it around, set them all up again, would come back around take a scraper, scrape the Plastisol ink off while, while wearing gloves to your elbows, right? In a dark, dingy basement with very little ventilation, just with cases and cases and cases and cases. I got some old photos I can try to find with like these bags just stacked up everywhere. Uh, I think we got like five to 6,000 through, just scraping it off uh, and then uh, putting a new name onto it. So heat pressing the new design onto it from that spot on. Luckily, I think the company ended up being like, no, we're going under. I think at that point, uh, the, they started catching on fire, right? That whole thing. So they ended up not, we ended up getting paid for the chunk we had done. And luckily it was enough for us to be able to get the dryer. But yeah, one of those things where it's like, you get that job, you're like, this is a bad idea, but it's gonna pay for the next step. And you kind of just hunger down and do it. Again, I speak candidly, like I had to do that much work. My, my poor, poor partner over there had to do all the actual leg work. But it, I think every shop, kind of has one of those like oh god type stories right. it's always kind of fun to see what when that happens too um awesome so going from the manual to the auto what was the next big step in your business how did you go from because I, I knew about your company you guys were very well known how did you kind of get your name to be so well known in a place like chicago that has a lot of competition i don't have a, a sales bone in my body i I don't, you know, I'm not, I wasn't ever really focused too much on getting our name out there. Um, but the one thing that I wanted to focus on was, was kind of making sure that we had just a, a ridiculously strong relationship with our customer base um, and trying to focus on certain industries so that um, our name could kind of organically get around, right? Um, so obviously we, we found the brewery industry in Chicago. That was a big one. We got in with, um, Chicago's got a really great, craft coffee scene that kind of goes in hand in hand with the brewery scene as well as um, distilleries. And so we kind of focused on that. We knew the industry really well. Um, I also had a background in um, the service industry. So I knew restaurants, I knew liquor reps and all that kind of stuff. Um, so it was, it was kind of a natural thing that, you know, I was like, all right, well, I understand this side of it and I, and therefore I can try to understand the pain points that they have and see what tools I have here that I can apply to help solve those problems for them. Um, so that was really it, that was our focus. We just, we were really relationship driven. Um, and to a point, I think, you know, when, when I sold it, I think 85% of our revenue was coming directly from repeat business. And so we had, we, again, didn't do a lot of sales and outreach, but we really focused on, you know, tapping into that network and and really getting to know those people, really getting to understand the, the problems that they ran into, and then finding other companies that shared those issues that we could kind of employ our set of tools to, to solve their problems as well. So. Owning a shop and running a shop, 
working with industries that you you knew well, a lot of repeat customers, was there ever anything that you were just like, took a step back and were like, wow, that was awesome. I'm really stoked I have to do this for a customer or even a, a complex print. What are you the most proud of? I think it's it's kind of a bit of a detachment from, from the question a little bit here, but uh, I would say the pivot to fundraising at the beginning of the pandemic. I mean, oh. that was like, because we had focused so much on you know, learning the needs of these companies and the industries that we were working with, we got to know the people really well. And so because we were doing a lot of the beverage industry, um, a lot of the service and hospitality industry in Chicago, they were the first ones to get the ax when businesses started closing. And they were one of the last ones to open back up too. Yeah. Um, the workforce in service and hospitality doesn't have a lot of protections. I mean, they're, you know, they don't have time off that they can, they can use for that. They, most of them are hourly. A lot of them are tip-based, gratuity-based. Um, so being able to, to work with the people at those businesses to find ways to keep their staff on and keep them, you know, able to pay their rent and keep food on their tables and shit like that during the um, the early stages of the pandemic when, every, when there was so much uncertainty as to when things were going to open back up. Um, I mean, that was probably one of the most gratifying things that I've ever done as a business owner, for sure. I mean... It, it helped me keep my team busy. It helped everybody um, have something to focus on, you know what I mean? To take their mind off of the uncertainty mm. um, and just kind of, I think, provided a little bit of a sense of normalcy um, and being able to provide a routine. You know, people could work from home on sales stuff. Our graphic designer was working from home. We had a couple uh, production people that would stagger days that they would go in and print so that we didn't have people interacting with each other. Um, so just trying to find, you know, solutions to a whole new set of problems that came about at that time, not only for ourselves as a shop, but also for the people that we had worked with um, that we very much wanted to be around to continue working with um, once things did start to go back to normal. So. Yeah, it's awesome. What a great answer. Love that. Um, going into the fact that you've gone from working, catching shirts to loading a manual press and um, pulling or pushing? Pulling. Amen. Pulling. There it is. There it is. Uh, it's okay. You're allowed to push, but <laughs> pulling is the right answer. Um, just kidding. Uh, and then owning and managing a print shop, there's pros and cons, right? At the end of the day, when you look back on both, I'm sure you've got fond memories on both ways, but which one did you like more? And maybe what are some of the pros and cons of each of those positions from your standpoint? I love printing. I love it. I mean, that's, that's why I did it for, you know, so many years um, when I was in my teens and when I was in my early 20s. That's why I wanted to keep doing it. Um, the, I liked the, the kind of unique aspect of every job. So even though you're doing the same thing over and over, um, you're, you know, the ink doesn't change, the screens are the same and all this kind of stuff, they're really not. You know, the circumstances change, the environment changes. Um, according to the art, according to the garment. Um, so every job that you're setting up when you're printing, especially manually, is kind of a whole new set of um, problems and sequences that you have to figure out, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? So it's a lot of small adjustments here and it's instant gratification. If, mm -hmm. you, if you, you send out a batch of shirts and you know that you crushed it on the print and they all look good, that feels amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and so on the management side, you, you do get the same kind of gratification and it's definitely great to walk over to the production floor and see a stack of shirts that you didn't have to print that your team printed and mm -hmm. say, wow, those are amazing and just mm -hmm. realize that your team is doing well. It's kind of the same thing, except 
um, you know, you're managing the systems on a on a, micro, a macro level that go into making sure that those small adjustments on press um, are happening to get the results on the micro level at the individual shirt level. So it's kind of it was kind of a trade off, but I still really love printing. I mean, um, even in the latter days of, of my running that shop, um, if there was you know if we had a manual printer out or if we were behind and something needed to get done on the manual. I was the first one to jump up. I loved it. I mean, um, it's exhausting doing it, you know, mm -hmm. 40 hours a week, but, mm -hmm. uh, you know, being able to hop in there a few days a week and print out a job every now and then, I mean, it was really fun. I still really enjoy that. I love that. It's running, I've also run a couple larger shops, right? Multiple autos, lots of people. Yeah. There's something so different about, yes, there, there is real, something rewarding about teaching people that variable control understanding like your screens your ink the platen the temperature like educating them that's rewarding watching them succeed that's rewarding but i'm with you there's nothing quite the same as like grabbing the squeegee pulling that squeegee and you can see that perfect little shear of that of when you have the right off contact and everything's just dialed in that perfect as it passes that little shear and like seeing it and feeling it and like being a part of that that is so rewarding. I think that's why, like, it, it's, I don't want to say it separates, like, the true print nerds from other people, right. but it kind of does, yeah. right? There's something so rewarding in that I'll always want to find an excuse to come print something manually. I love running auto, too, because, again, 40 hours and this all week and, like, rolling your shoulders up and doing it, it it's it, it's hard. Yeah. But there's, it's something that, like, kind of hits that creator, the artist in me a bit, right? That, you are controlling the variables and you are an artist in that moment. Maybe you didn't create the design, but you're laying the ink to the substrate. You're kind of the artist too. There's something so rewarding about pulling the squeegee. Something so rewarding about getting to go home without thinking about work anymore either, right? Where on the other side of that, when you're running the shop or owning the shop, yeah, maybe your, your, your arms aren't so tired, but your brain is fried at the yeah. end of that day. You got to think about everybody's, the, the employees, are they happy? Is payroll covered? Are the bills covered? What's coming next? So there's different rewards and different feelings in all those ways. But yeah, end of the day, there's nothing quite the same as pulling that squeegee. I agree. Um, looking back on your business, I find that every shop kind of has that one one thing that like, if I could have go back and do something different, I would have done this. Or if I could have uh, made a decision sooner, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? It's always easy to look back and be like, you know what, I would have, right? In the moment, it's never that easy. But looking back, was there anything that you wish you would have done different or a decision you would have made sooner or later um, that would maybe help the watchers understand in their current uh, position what they could do sooner or different i would say hiring hiring out everything that um not just that i didn't need to do mm -hmm. but also and i probably most importantly the things that i didn't want to do mm. um i know that's kind of you know the the entrepreneur rule of thumb is just to do only that which only you can do right um but i think it's also very important that you focus on your efforts on doing the thing that you want to do, the thing that you get the most enjoyment out of because you're good at it, right? Mm -hmm. um, it goes a long way. If, like you said, I mean, you're as a, as a business owner, you've got constant stresses. Like you don't punch out at five, your brain will wake you up at two o'clock in the morning asking you payroll questions that mm -hmm. you've got to answer. Um, so the more things like that, the things that, you know, that, that kind of bug you about the, 
the work that needs to be done or the things that you just don't really enjoy um, that don't keep you motivated and wanting to stay in it, get rid of those things, hire them off, find somebody to do that for you. It's really important to make sure that you've got enough on your plate that you're enjoying the, what you are in control over mm -hmm. and that you know you don't wake up ever or as, you know, try to reduce the instances of it as much as possible, but you, you don't wake up with the feeling of not wanting to go into the shop that day, mm -hmm. you know, because it's detrimental. It's You go in there and you're the leader and everybody's looking at you um, for guidance and for answers and for for solutions. And, you know, if they sense that you don't want to be there at any point, that has a ripple effect, you know, mm -hmm. and, and people feel that. That's that's a real, um, you know, it's it's an almost tactile thing and it's, it's you know, it's apparent if, if the shop owner is unhappy or stressed or something like that, and you've got a team there, everybody there, um, you know, should want to improve the business and to make things better. So um, if you're able to train somebody on it and they're qualified to do it, let them do it, give them a shot, you know, cause you, you're always going to be surprised at what people are willing to, to learn and pick up. And mm -hmm. if you keep yourself happy, that's going to carry over into your employees as well. Amen. Love that. I mean, something that I, I've, I've seen less of lately, and it kind of makes me happy, is I felt that in the 90s especially, you kind of had to be uh, the master of all, right? You saw a lot of shops that were like, oh, we do this, we do this, we do this, we do this, we do this. Now, some of them are really good at all those yeah. things. Most of them are like really good at one or two things. I've really noticed that a lot more shops are a lot more willing to openly admit what they're not great at, but that they have good partners mm -hmm. that'll do those things. So talking about that entrepreneurial spirit, at Sound and Fury, we don't do any embroidery. We offer embroidery jobs all the time. We have two to three going at every single week because we found good partners to work with. So to your point, like do what you love. We love screen printing, uh, posters, t-shirts. We love that stuff. We love embroidery too. Yeah. We just don't know anything about it. So We'd rather work with people who are like, we're nerds about embroidery, not so great at screen printing, and share that wealth and that business. Same with using like our, our, our partnership with, with Graphic Source. I love art. I can sit there and I can take a, a design and I can spend six hours making a, a beautiful sim process print. Or <laughs> I can send it to them and then go close a deal or two, make up for that cost, right? So it's a bit of, like you're saying, do what you love, yeah. do what makes you happy, and do what also helps generate more business for you, right? So strategic partnerships and sharing that wealth, I think, makes us all better across the board, too. So I think right. it's a really, really smart, smart add-on. We like to talk about shop hacks a lot. So do you have any shop hacks? And it could be a little broader, really just like recommendations. And it could be physical in the shop. It can be software, uh, Printavo. That's, of course, the ultimate shop hack, right? Um, or it can be just, just process-driven. Any, any words of advice or tips or tricks you'd recommend? Aside from using baby wipes to clean literally anything that has ink on it, uh, I would say more of just a general best practice is document everything. Like, don't walk around the shop and mention something to somebody and expect them to retain it. There's so many moving pieces mm. um, in every department within a, a print shop. Your screen tech is, you know, they're they're looking at the hygrometer multiple times throughout the day. They're worried about what mesh counts they need to have available for the week ahead and all this kind of stuff. So if you go in there and ask them a question or tell them to do something, you can't expect them to retain that, right? Same with your graphic designer. So have a system for documenting that kind of stuff um, and a process for confirming that that person received that message. So 
Um, simple thing that we used a lot was Jotform for any kind of art request. If it was adjusting a mock-up or anything like that, we used Jotform. Um, that way it pushed to that user's email, uh, it pushed to Slack channel, and there was no way that they were gonna miss it. And so you were able to see with confirmation if they got it, they could act on it and then, and then kick that back and keep that communication streamlined that way. Um, yeah, documentation's just, there's no replacement for that. Word of mouth, asking something of somebody is gonna go right over their head or you should at least expect it to, so. Love it. Um, yeah, what about for you? I don't. So some, I've done a lot of shop hacks. So some that uh, I definitely recommend, one that we, we do here often at the shop is, uh, we've been doing a lot of DTF. It's, everyone's doing a lot of DTF now, right? Yeah. We're actually moving away from offering screen printing at lower quantities. So if somebody wants 12, it's not going to be screen print. Unless it's a one color, maybe. Anything after that, we're going DTF for that now. Uh, so a hack that I picked up from my buddy Scott at uh, Kingscreen is after you do your DTF and you heat press it and you peel, taking either uh, canvas or linen, uh, and you can go to like your local fabric store and just get a big piece of that putting that down and then heat pressing it again, it kind of forces the, 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 the weave of the material onto the surface. It helps mat it down. It also makes it feel softer and look softer. So it gives it kind of more that screen printed feel and look with just pressing in that canvas or that linen right into the surface. It's awesome. When you can actually try to do more halftone work in there too, it also really softens that up substantially. So something with DTF, definitely looking at if you can soften up with halftones and that extra step of additional heat press of that makes a big difference. Another one that I've been doing a lot of on my in-persons I do at shops is put the answer to your common questions where the question is asked. So for example, if you've got multiple people that you've trained how to reclaim, but they always come like, hey, how do I do this again? And you're like, all right, for the 14th time, right? And you have to go, right. go show them again because that's not their normal role, right? So what I'll do is I'll, I'll take my phone out. I use Loom for a lot. We use it for our print shop uh, all the time, but I'll take Loom out and I'll just record a two minute video of someone going through how to do it and then go print out a QR code, go online for free, type in QR code generator, and then just take that Loom link, put it to the QR code, print it out onto a, 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 a shipping label and put that QR code right on the side of the washout booth. And you do this all over your shop. So when you have somebody who's new to that role, hey, can you help me out with this? How do I do it? Your phone's in your pocket, we know it is. Mm -hmm. Go ahead and scan that QR code, it'll teach you, right? And have the, the answers again where the question comes up. Definitely a big, big help and one that I try to live by as often as I can, so. Yeah, that's great. Kind of building a redundancy around the uh, each step of the way too. That's yep, yep, smart. absolutely. Well, Adam, it's been a blast getting to know you a little yeah. better. Um, Stoked to get to work with you. Yeah. I think all the the the, uh, the print houses out there are stoked to have somebody like you inside Printavo helping with the questions and the knowledge base in general. Uh, stoked for what's still to come. Appreciate your time. Yeah, of course.